0: Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Cruel Dubai. Well, if ever there was a statement of intent that he was back, it came on New Year's Day when he trained the first three winners at Musselburgh. But that was simply confirmation of an upward curve that had begun at the start of 2019 after a couple of really difficult years, professionally and personally, for my special guest this morning, Donald McCain. He is very much back in the big time. Horses like Navajo Pass and others will take him to the big spring festivals, but via an appearance on this programme. Donald, good morning. Morning, well, Nick.
1: You're well?
0: Very well. It's, it's great to see you. And, and the important thing is that you and your horses seem to be in, in really, really good form. How have, you, how have you found the last few weeks and months?
1: Um, I think it's been tricky for everyone, but we're very, very lucky to be doing the job we do at the moment and being able to keep going, you know. So um, we just keep soldiering on.
0: Uh, you've made no secret of the fact that it's been a, a sequence of, of ups and downs really through the through the last few few years do you feel do you feel as happy now personally as you have for a for a long time
1: yeah it um life puts manners on you a little bit Matt, as uh, nick along the way and um it um it's changed my priorities a little bit and um we're enjoying training nice horses for nice people and i think not being a very confident person it um, makes you realize what you want to be in the job for and if you can survive something like that then you might be okay
0: it's funny that you say that you're you're not a a very confident person and certainly when you you started training when you took over the license from your your father you were you were always very happy to be to be interviewed to talk about the horses was that quite an effort for you then was that more of an effort than perhaps it felt to people like to people like us who were talking to you and thinking you were kind of full of the joys of spring yeah I'm <laughs> people i'm telling you i'm not particularly
1: sociable in some ways but i, I, I don't find it easy no. You know and i, I think um I, I, I tend to not get over carried away about things because you're
0: only going dis- to disappoint someone along the way possibly you know Tell me a little bit about um, the early days when when your father still did have the license, and you'd been away, and you'd, you'd been assistant to Luca Kumani, and you, you you came back. Were you were you dead set then on on this being your life, on this being your career, or was it something that that sort of you couldn't get away from?
1: No, it was always going to be. Um, we just, I decided that what I was going to do, and, and and we we never had any real. Great discussions about anything. Dad said it's time you went away, and I went away. And he said it was time you come back when we were moving, and I came back. And and we just soldiered on between us and did the very best we could with what we had. Um, there was never even a discussion about taking over. It just happened, you know. So.
0: And was the was the McCain name? And obviously everybody knew your dad, and everybody knew the Red Rum story. For you, was that? Was that an advantage or or not? Do you think? Um,
1: a lot of people had an opinion of Dad, and I think it was the wrong one. Um, I used he was he was never bothered, but I used to get quite frustrated that people didn't take him seriously enough. Um, and people said, "You must have learnt a lot everywhere you went," and I did, obviously but I still learnt a lot more off my father than I did any of those other yards because we were struggling with ammunition that those people wouldn't even entertain, you know?
0: So so what was it about him and his, his ability with horses that that you've inherited and, and that you admired so much? What should we have been taking a bit more seriously, do you think?
1: Um, with very, very limited funds he was a great buyer of a horse. Um, we were dealing with horses with problems and injuries that most people wouldn't even bother trying to deal with. And when he got his chance at a good horse, um, he didn't miss very often, to be honest. I mean, obviously, Amberley House was the last good horse dad had, and he went out. I mean, he's the man that went came back from Punchestown after seeing a win over. Either two or two and a half miles and said, I found a grand national horse um, and um, I would like to think he could train a horse like him to within a couple of days of being ready for the big day
0: i mean and that takes a that takes a lot of self belief I, I was lucky enough to to interview you and your father and mother and sister all together at your at your stables and uh, there, there can't there can't be many people who had such conviction in his own opinion, not just we we all knew that he could be you know he could rub people up and and sort of do it deliberately and wind wind people up and whatever <laughs> but such conviction in his own opinion on horses it was quite it was quite inspiring to watch sometimes
1: yeah and he was he, he wouldn't be swayed he was he was very definite he didn't really care what people thought um Probably to a fault, um, but um and we were around him see, seeing what people thought on occasions, but you know if he had the right ammunition he was he was a great trainer, of the right horse.
0: I really enjoyed watching watching the two of you together when, when you were sort of in, in your early days on the license, when you were you were going well in those in those early days, um sort of just before before Peddlers Cross and Co. came along, and watching you kind of bounce off each other, watching that kind of creative crackle, if you like. Was was that quite was that quite sort of a, a sort of dynamic environment to be in?
1: Yeah, he, he he was really enjoying. We were getting to go to the sales and buy horses or buy the ammunition we've never been able to buy before and he i think he just got great satisfaction from it you know we're training for nice people and and we're getting to go and for the first time really apart from say one person asking for a grand national horse to go and buy nice young horses that cost a few quid and being able to be judged on what we did
0: and this was one such example of a, of a horse who did really well for you around that period. White Oak, she was one of the horses that really started to put the yard into the into the big time. And you never forget a festival success. And this this one must have been very very special. Your 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 first. It was my second.
1: second. Cloudy Lane is my first.
0: Yes, of course, Cloudy Lane in the Kim Muir.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, And and Cloudy was fantastic. Obviously, Mr. Hemmings sent out a couple of horses towards the end of his career. And I mean, he'd been in a couple of yards before he came to us. And he was just the most wonderful little horse. And and to train the first horse for Trevor Hemmings, I think he won his Novice Hurdle at Haydock. Then he won the Fixed Push Final at Haydock. And he won a a Grimthorpe. And he won a Kim Muir. He
0: was the most wonderful little racehorse. Talking of um, wonderful little racehorses, that picture you've got over your over your left shoulder there, Donald, is that is that Chickapeet Ray? Yes, yeah. 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 So, tell me about. Yeah. At least I got one thing right. Tell me about tell me about Ray because I've got very fond memories <laughs> of her, uh, uh, particularly at Carlisle, of those big fences and she could barely see over the top of them. Uh, I, would you say that she was? She was a sort of emblem of, of what you were talking about earlier on, getting the best out of a, out of a, a modestly, modestly produced horse.
1: Well, that was the sort of thing Dad did. He, he came back from some sale in... It was a dispersal sale in Worcester somewhere, I think, and he bought two full sisters, both by Tenoso. One cost... I think the two-year-old cost 550 guineas, and the, the yearling was nicer and came in afterwards and cost 450 guineas. Um, they were both by good sire and a, a good old national hunt family for many years but Both wind suckers, I think, standard stuff. Um, and both mares won us a few races. And um, both mares produced a lot of winners. Actually, the worst race mare produced the best race horses um, Chickapete Ray was from the good side and won us quite a few races, and she must have been barely 15 hands. And um, the other side of the family produced Reindeer Dipping and Recoy that were both placed at ancient festivals.
0: And in the early days, when when you had the when you had the license, she was she was one of those real stars, uh, Chickapete Ray, and you know, as you say, took you to some. Took you to some some big shows as well. When the when the better better horses started coming along and the the bigger money started being spent, and I'm I'm talking pre roonies here. I'm talking when, when the likes of Peddlers Cross were were starting to appear. Um, at that point, could you could you deal with the the pressures quite comfortably?
1: Yeah, I don't suppose I knew any different. I I, I was always very conscious of spending good money on a horse. Um, and we tended to do it ourselves without agents and so on. So the mistake's yours and nobody else's. But I must say we had a, we had a good run at it and we produced some really nice horses quite quickly. So it um, hadn't seen the other side of it by then. I don't think.
0: Uh, Peddler's Cross was a horse that you had unshakable, unbreakable faith in. Has any horse come close to to showing you what he did? No. No, he was,
1: I still to this day don't think people realise quite how good he was, Nick. Um, everybody, and rightly so, goes on about Overturn and what a wonderful racehorse he was. And he was the most fantastic racehorse that turned up all the time. But he couldn't lace the boots of Peddler's Cross.
0: Well, t- tell me what you saw from Peddler's Cross. Try try and try and Try and put some some flesh on those bones. (laughs) Well, like I say, I'm not a particularly confident person, but
1: we just knew his work was always so good. Um, He won his bumper easily. He won his novice hurdle easily. He went and won a grade two very easily at Haydock on bad ground that he didn't want. And he was doing this despite bad ground. the most eye captured thing we did a piece of work with him before the festival in his first year at Bangor and it wasn't the plan to do it but it turned into one of those pieces of work that I used to see when I worked for Luca Command and Michael Stout and so on where the lead horses were getting used to even try and lead him long enough um, and I was going around the inside in the jeep and they were going so quick. And Jason was shouting at one horse to go past another and one to go past, them, j- just to lead him long enough. And then he just went past them like they were stood still. Um, when I pulled up, I went to get out of the car and I couldn't catch hold of the handle. My hand was shaking that much. <laughs> um, and it very nearly made me run him in the Supreme. He was that impressive.
0: He was, a, he was such a talented horse. How How much... Did it hurt when he, he didn't win the champion hurdle? Like, he got so close.
1: You tried to interview me, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I couldn't speak. I, 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 look, I wasn't distraught he didn't win or anything like that. But you could see this second effort you put in after the last when Fly went past him. And I found that quite humbling. And truthfully, I don't think he was ever quite the same horse after that, for a number of reasons. And and it probably not finished him because he won races afterwards, but he was just never the same horse after it, you know.
0: I I um, remember when he when he ran, a, and I know you do as well, because we had words. But he ran he ran in that match against Sprinter sacra at um, at Kempton, and. You know rather flippantly i sort of said well you know listen, peddler's cross is this big and sprinter sacra is this big and he's he's never likely to beat him again and uh, you you got really angry with me and I, and I understand now because i understand your total passion for that horse <laughs> you're was, right <laughs> <laughs> well but but that's not why i brought it up you know at the time i'm thinking he's being ridiculous because he's <laughs> run into one of the best horses there's ever been but when you see how close people get to their their stable stars you you begin to have so much more empathy for it, you know?
1: Well, at the time, we didn't really know we are sprinter did we? But I remember I went into the weighing room after racing and Barry Gerrity was there, and he could see I was <laughs> distraught, I think. But Barry said, I wouldn't panic too much, Donald, this is a flying machine. I said, I don't really care, Barry, it's not. I'm not having it. He said, I'm telling you, this is an absolute aeroplane. And I think my words were, I don't care what it is, nothing should beat Peddler's Cross like
0: that. History's proved different. Um, you, mentioned, you mentioned Overturn. Now, he, was, he was a fabulous horse, Overturn. Um, could, you, could you sort of almost go pressure free to all the gigs with him? Because you just knew that he would just turn up and wear his harness. Even if he got beaten, it didn't matter so much, you know?
1: Well when we got to, when I managed to stop getting him beat off about 110 it it was wonderful but um the early days weren't weren't sparkling yeah with him every day was just a joy he went racing it's it's a bit corny but he just like you say always turned up and was quite often the underdog so there was never anything to lose
0: truthfully i, I want to talk about your grand national because Whatever happens now, whatever happens for the rest of your career, however many Cheltenham winners you train, if you train another national winner, whatever, the fact is you trained that national winner in your own name after the Red Rum Trio and after Amberley House, with whom you were so inextricably involved. Just how big a deal was that for you?
1: I probably didn't quite realise at the time. Yeah, we... I got a wonderful kick out of Ambley House and we were very involved in him and he was the one good horse we had at the time. Um, Ballard Briggs was like a three-year journey to get him to Aintree, truthfully, Um, and on the day it didn't quite go to plan, we thought we were going to hang on to him a bit but he took to the place so well he was in front most of the way. I didn't quite realise the significance that Dad wouldn't be around much longer and obviously that adds a huge amount to the whole thing and yeah obviously for dad, for Mr Hemmings, for me, for everyone involved, it was a long term plan, myself and Mick Meager talked about it for years, you know, and um, it never quite works out like that does it, you know you make a plan that far ahead it just never really works out and everything we tried to do along the way just worked.
0: They were wonderful scenes, and it was a very special moment for you. And you, you make the point there that you, you, know, you obviously didn't realize at the time that you, your father wouldn't be with us for, for much longer. And I, I was sort of reflecting on this when I was thinking about talking to you today and, and, and you saying that you know, you're not the most confident person in the world, you're not the most sociable, you're not that comfortable you know, pushing yourself out there. <laughs> um, when, when, you, when you lost him, aside from it being a, a great loss for all of you, did you then feel more of a responsibility to to step forward because you didn't almost have that, that sort of protective shield there, that ballast, that sort of swashbuckling figure in the in, in the house? Of course, yeah. I mean, we
1: never used to have big, long family discussions, but any time there was a serious issue and you wanted to talk about it, he was there to talk about it. And you know, conversations never lasted very long. Um, you know, if you thought you are doing the right thing and, and whatever, that was fine. And he agreed and so on. And we'd have small arguments, but not massive ones. But he was always there in the background if if you needed it, you know. Um, and when he went, yes, there was an awful lot of having to do it on your own. There was a little bit of you are not being judged of everything you do. But it was, you yeah, know, we had to step up and get on with the job, yeah.
0: Um, get on with the job you did. And uh, now you've, you've spoken about the difficulties of that period where you, you ended up with, uh, I mean, quite literally hundreds of horses owned by Paul and Claire Rooney that all disappeared in, in well, pretty much in, in one fell swoop. Um, were, you, were you ever happy with the amount of horses that, that one owner had in, in that yard at the time? I mean, how quickly could you sense it getting beyond reasonable control, if you like?
1: no i wasn't happy um and for about 12 months before it finished i was well really unhappy to be honest and i don't think it was a very healthy situation but that's all history now um yeah it was it was quite often a case that when i bought three horses at the sales it was normally two for the owner and one for myself and you couldn't then turn around and say you can't have the cheap one if you've bought the dear ones and stuff like that and it's very difficult when you're getting the chance to buy the horses you really want to buy to say no i don't want another one truthfully and i think with the horses i bought you know i bought the last samurai and i think he should have won a grand national we bought star architect and he very nearly won a grade one for me at aintree and obviously was a great horse for dave I even bought a group myself and Tom Malone went to the Breeze Ups and bought my dream book for 40 grand that won a Group One flat race. Um, you know, you were getting to buy the horses you wanted to train, and I'm not in this job for making bundles of money, but just to train nice horses.
0: And did it did it unravel over time, or or did it unravel very suddenly? Um,
1: no it, it wasn't it wasn't particularly comfortable for quite a while Nick to be honest I don't want to go over it too much but there was like I say it was about 12 months the last 12 months was awful and to be honest I probably embarrassingly took my eye off one or two other things along the way as well okay so how did you pick how did you pick yourself up Well, I'm probably a, a northern, I'm thick enough to get on with it. But um, the morning after they went, I went and locked myself in the office for three or four hours, spoke to every owner I, I had, um, came out of the office, thought, this job's not too bad, I'm training for some wonderful people. Um, went up the gallop, stood there and thought, come on, sort yourself out, you trained nearly 1,000 winners on this gallop, and just got on with it
0: and the the journey now to where you are has been has been really quite a fruitful one the the rebuilding process dare i say it almost looks complete is that the way you see it or am i seeing that wrongly
1: no i mean i i i'm never going to get i you see obviously pickles henderson dan skelton etc. i probably haven't got the mentality of those people to train those massive numbers of horses and if a horse wins half a dozen races for me I'm not inclined to want to be getting rid of it and move on to the next one quite as quickly I'm never going to train the numbers I did train I don't want to train the numbers I did train and I'm getting great satisfaction now for training for some great people and surrounding myself with great people as well that work for me and stuff you know
0: yeah, and there's another dimension to this as well, and I know this has been a dimension that's been building for a long time, and that's the the success that your daughters are having in the in the saddle, Abbey and, uh, and Ella. How much how much does that kind of just just shift your perspective a little bit in terms of what you want out of the, out of life and of the game? Well, that's that's to be honest. When when people come and
1: go, and you you probably a circle of friends maybe it gets a little bit smaller and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, you've got your close friends, your your, your good owners and so on, and your family. Um, and I was getting great kick out watching the girls. We had great fun when they were pony racing. And obviously John Joe would be there with his lads and Peter Bowen and and so on and so on. And, and, and it was great fun. And then we moved on to the track and... Um, it was, a, should we say, a really nice distraction at the time and made you realise
0: what your priorities should be, truthfully. And they're both doing well still?
1: Yeah, Abby, Abby's still here. Abby's got a couple of eyes on Tuesday. Newcastle and stuff, she has jumps. Ella's at Tim Eastabies now, as Apprentice, and she's tipping away well, yeah. They're, they're, they're great people to work for. She's in the right place, and, and they're looking after her really well. I don't think they want to between Tim and her agent. I don't think they want to waste a claim on the all-weather this winter and concentrate on next summer. I don't know how she'd stay light. She's certainly not got it for me. And it's good.
0: Well, I think that, that feels, Donald, like a, a really nice place to end with the, the notion that the flag will be flown brilliantly for the McCain name through, through generations to come. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much for, for sharing your thoughts. And I'm just sorry it's taken me quite so long to, to get you on the show
1: <laughs> You okay Nick go with the speak
0: Luck on Sunday proudly sponsored by Basti Cruel Dubai